Well, good morning, church family. My name is Andrew, one of the pastors here, the guy being replaced by Kyle, I hear. Is that what Brooke said? <laughs> no, I'm not being replaced. I'm excited, though. Ben and I are so excited to work with Kyle and to have another pastor on staff um, for you guys voting for that. And just God continues to bring unanimous votes to park, and it's such a great thing that we get to be a part of. So I'm excited about that. Um, we're going to continue with 1 Corinthians the book of 1 Corinthians this morning. We're going to be in chapter 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. So I'm going to invite you to stand as I read our text for this morning. It is on page 953 in the Pew Bible. And I'm going to read all of chapter 2. Just a reminder as you're flipping there, this is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote who founded this church, moved on to different cities, but he had gotten word that this church was a mess. All kinds of idolatry, all kinds of sin, all kinds of colliding ideologies in this church. And he writes to, church to, to this church to remind them of their identity in Jesus and to remind them that, yes, they are a mess, but they're the mess that God loves. That's true for us this morning, right? We are a mess, each of us individually and especially us corporately. If you're a mess individually, look at all the people around you. Now we're a really big mess because they're all messes too. But we are the mess that God loves. And so... St. Paul addresses us here. He addresses the church in Corinth here in this letter, and it applies to us really well 2,000 years later. Follow along with me as I read. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory." None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. In these things, God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Lord Jesus, I pray that we would have your mind this morning as we look at this passage, that we would have your spirit revealing to us your truth, your wisdom, your ways, for your glory, for our good, and the advancement of your gospel, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may have a seat. Well, these past two years have been exhausting, haven't they? Just exhausting. I'm, I'm reminded, as Kurt and Ashley shared, about they, they went to Slovenia in September. 
their main role was to work with the local church. They get there in September, church shuts down because of COVID, doesn't open again until June. Half their internship, the, the very point of them being there is, is, is shifted to them trying to figure out how to do online church with people that they don't know in a language that they don't know. And can you imagine the, the frustration for that? And they just humbly walked that out. I talked with them a few times and I, I love their humility of heart as they were there. And then, and then us here, like regardless of what your last two years have looked like, it's been filled with just exhausting opinions and information and, and misinformation and competing information, Right? Like, who do we listen to? Where does wisdom come from? What do we believe? Where and when do we compromise? What should we do about COVID? What should we do about racism? What should we do about political unrest? Have you heard this article? Have you read this article? Have you heard this podcast? Have you read that book? Have you listened to this person's hot take on whatever, right? Exhausting. So much information and a lot of misinformation. My favorite emoji the last two years has become this. I can't tell you how many times I've responded to people with just that. I don't know. Shrug it off. I don't know. I'm a pastor, not an epidemiologist. I'm a pastor, not a sociologist. I'm a pastor, not a medical professional. I'm a pastor, not a political activist. I don't know. Have you ever felt this way? I think it's really good for you to admit you don't know some things. You don't know some things. And, and the world is so complex and so confusing, and there's so many things coming at us at such a rapid pace that we have to be able to say, I, I don't know everything. I know some things. I, I don't think I'm going to know everything ever, but I know a few things. And I find a lot of comfort in this passage this morning in the whole passage, but specifically verse 12 and 16, where the Apostle Paul says, We have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. We have the mind of Christ. And there's, there's the spirit of the world that has all kinds of various information, various takes, various philosophies and, and ideologies. And it's confusing and it's perplexing. But Paul here is reminding the church 2,000 years ago who lived in a city very similar to ours, a, a culturally diverse city, a sexually broken city, a city filled with tons of worship of pagan gods and, and just different economic levels and cultural backgrounds. And, and he reminds them that in this confusion, in the, in the, in the various interpretations that are created by diversity, there is this reality for Christians that we have the Spirit of God. And we have the mind of Christ. So as followers of Jesus, you and I don't need to be tossed to and fro by every wind of the hot new take on any particular topic that you might choose. There is a place for a Christian, for a Christ follower, to have peace of mind. Amen? You want peace of mind this morning? Do you need peace of mind? This passage has peace of mind for us. And so what I want to do this morning is walk through this passage, kind of distinguishing between the spirit of the world and the spirit of God. I think the Apostle Paul, actually what he does in the first, well, this entire book, this whole letter is to help a messy church full of people with all different idols, identify their idols, be reminded of their identity in Christ, and know that they are loved by God in the midst of their mess. But they, but they want to grow through this mess, right? And keep pursuing Christ. 
And so what he's doing here in these first couple chapters is really helping the church to discern between the spirit of the world, the hot takes of the world, and the spirit of God, what is true, what is right, what is noble, what is unchanging. Because we all know that the spirit of the world, that the wisdom of the world, that the, that the ideas of the world change and evolve, right? And, and so Paul here is setting up the church on a firm rock, the unchanging rock who is Jesus Christ. So this morning we're primarily going to look at chapter 2, but as we get, before we get into chapter 2, I just kind of want to remind you here um, that the first, really, kind of the first thing that Paul is identifying here between the spirit of the world and the spirit of God is that the spirit of the world is personality driven. And the spirit of God, is, it, it, it seeks gospel simplicity and godly sincerity. If you've been here the last couple of weeks as we looked at chapter 1, you know that there was infighting in the church. They were picking certain leaders to follow. And this is really the first four books, the first four chapters of this book are really all about leadership idolatry and people idolizing certain leaders and putting certain leaders on pedestals and, and wanting to follow certain leaders because they agree with, the, they like their personality. There's kind of a cult of personality behind this leader or they like their conclusions on certain things or, or they think they have the best take on this cultural issue or this theological issue. And so the church in Corinth was dividing itself into camps based off of personality. And we talked about this the last couple of weeks, so I'm not going to dive deep into it, but look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17, just as a reminder, a way of review and, and info for those of you who weren't here. 1 Corinthians 1, 17. Paul has just compared some different leaders that the church is saying, I follow this person, I follow this person. And just so you know, these leaders weren't divided with each other. They were all united on the gospel. But they all had a little different way of doing ministry and a little different gifting in how they did ministry. And so the church was, was finding camps behind the leaders of their choosing. And Paul, in verse 17 of chapter 1, he says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. And then in the first couple of verses of chapter 2 here, he says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, when I came and I spent a year and a half among you and I planted the church, you can read about that in Acts chapter 18, I did not come to you proclaiming the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul knew that one of the idols of this church in this city was this personality-drivenness, this cult of personality, this wanting to line up behind different people. And so P Paul was brilliant. Paul was able to proclaim the gospel with lofty speech. As far as a, a Jewish leader, before he became a, a, a Jewish Christian, he, he believed that Jesus was the Messiah, the way, the truth, and the life. When he was a Jewish leader, he was one of the most prominent Jewish leaders, one of the most respected Jewish leaders. His intellect was high, his rhetoric was great, but he knew that one of the idols in the city of Corinth and in the church of Corinth was to, was to value personality and a personal ability more so than the essence of the gospel. And so he says that he specifically came to this church not using eloquent wisdom or lofty speech, but focusing in on Jesus. He says in verse 2 of chapter 2, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He wanted to simply proclaim the gospel, the good news, that, that people are broken, they're jaded, they're, they, they've been sinned against and they're carrying shame and they've sinned against others and they're carrying guilt and, and there's this 
fracture between a holy God creator, and we all know that there's something more than us, and there's something broken there, and he wants to come in simplicity and say, and there's a way home. There's a, there's a savior, his name is Jesus, and he died on a Roman cross, a sign of weakness and foolishness to the world, but to you it's salvation, and so would you embrace Jesus? He comes not with great human argument and lofty speech, but in simplicity, saying, Jesus, 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 I've decided to know nothing except for Jesus. And there's this consistent theme throughout all of his letters to Corinthians. There's three. There's a lost letter, there's this letter, and then there's 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians. And there's this consistent theme throughout Paul's instruction to the church in Corinth that, that gospel simplicity and godly sincerity are more important than our human love of personality. Look at a supporting verse with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Flip a few pages to the right. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I just love this verse in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. It's on page 964 in the Pew Bible. Look at verse 12. Paul Again, writing to the church, he says, For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and supremely so towards you. See, the spirit of the world grabs on to personality. It lines up behind people with charismatic personality or, or, or with personal whatever that we agree with or line up with. And that's the spirit of the world. Be careful about that. That's not the way of Jesus. That's not the way of the cross. The way of Christians, the spirit of God, the culture of the church of God is, is to embrace the gospel in simplicity. It doesn't mean you don't have deep discussions about what all of that means. But, but at its core, at its essence, it's to embrace the good news. And that's to live with this godly sincerity, not getting caught up in the complexities of all the world's arguments, but embracing Jesus. So that's kind of the whole theme of the first four chapters here, and how he kind of ends chapter one and moves into chapter two. And then as we keep going through chapter two, again, still in, in the first five verses here, he's comparing philosophy with Christology. Christology is the study of or the knowledge of Jesus. Ology, just as a, as a term on the end of a word, it, it means the study of or the knowledge of, right? So philosophy, we actually get our word from, from Greek culture and the Greek word phileo, it means the love of, and, and osophy, it means the study of or the knowledge of. So philosophy is the love of knowledge, the love of study, the love of wisdom. Sophia is the Greek word that, we, that, that Paul uses here. And look at what Paul is saying in these first five verses. He's saying, when I, come, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the, wis, uh, the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. Wisdom right there, it's philosophy. It's Sophia, the love of wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. My knowledge was Jesus. Paul is focusing on Christology the knowledge of, the study of, the love of Jesus, not the love of the world's wisdoms. He's saying the, the spirit of the world is lofty speech and, and wisdom, philosophy. But the spirit of God, the culture of his church, 
is the, the study of the knowledge of Jesus in simplicity. Remember this man who was lifted up on a Roman cross. Last week we talked about this. That cross symbolized foolishness to the Greeks who wanted philosophical wisdom and rhetoric and argument. And it spoke weakness to the Jews who wanted political and religious power. And Paul here is saying that, that as Christians... The Spirit of God in the church of God needs to be clinging to Christology, our study, our knowledge of Jesus. He, he's not saying that philosophy doesn't have a place, right? Throughout the New Testament, we actually see, we, we see Paul doing philosophy with certain people. And, and so if you're the philosophical person, you love philosophy, please don't hear me saying that, you, that there's never a time and a place to engage that, that it's all bad and wrong and, and you should ignore philosophy. I think we actually got... We need to engage philosophy. But Paul here knows that one of the idols in the church in Corinth is this, this elevated love of knowledge through the lens and the eyes of the world. And he's saying the, the thing that really matters is Jesus. And I love in verse 2, he says, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul knew a ton. He knew a lot about Roman government. He knew a lot about the Jewish law. He knew a lot about everything going on in his city. He was philosophical. Many of his other letters and, and some of his interactions with people that we can see in the book of Acts are very philosophical in nature. But he wants to be careful not to play into their idol. Saying, because you can scratch the spirit of the world's itch and get caught in this endless hamster wheel of, well, what if, what if, what if, why, why, why? What if a tree falls in the woods and no one's around to hear it? Did it really make a sound? What's the point? Saying, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus. And it's not just the heady knowledge of Jesus, it's this intimate knowledge of Jesus. He says in verse 3, and I, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. Isn't that completely countercultural to the type of leaders that, that, that we 2,000 years later, that they 2,000 years earlier wanted? Who wants to follow a leader who's weak and trembling and using ineloquent speech? Right? Aren't we just drawn towards personality and towards flashy? These, these things are related and interconnected. Aren't we drawn towards people who sound really smart and really wise, who have the better philosophical arguments? And Paul here is saying, I, I came to you in weakness and in fear and in trembling because that's the way of the cross. It's humility, it's meekness, it's laying down my life, it's, 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 it's listening more than ranting. This is the way of the cross. So Paul's identifying this spirit of the world, calling us to be careful for it, be careful of the philosophical nature of the world's arguments and pursuits, and make sure that you're not allowing the philosophical spirit of the world to lead you astray from the rooted truth of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. He continues on in verses 6 through 9, and, and, and I think here he, he compares filling your ology with theology. So again, ology is, it means the study of the knowledge of. Theo means God, so theology is the study of God, the knowledge of God. You could fill in any other ology. There's thousands of ologies, Right? There's biology, there's, there's sociology, there's ecology, there's epidemiology. 
who heard that word until the last two years, right? There, there's all these different ologies of the world. And Paul is, is telling Jesus people to be careful of the spirit of the world and the ologies of the world and to not trade the ologies of the world for the ology of God, the theology, the study of God. Look at what he says. He says in verse 6, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom. So there is this maturity in Christ that can handle a little bit more philosophy and theology, a little more ology in general. As we grow up, we should be able to engage deeper conversations and discussion. So he says there is this, among the mature we do impart wisdom, but, but this is really important. He says, although it is not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. This is the ologies of the world. All of the ologies of the world, they're doomed to pass away. Again, ology means branch of knowledge, right? So biology, there's a branch of knowledge. Sociology, epidemiology. These are are important branches of study that Christians need to consider and listen to. There's experts in these fields who have done a lot of work and a lot of study that a lot of us haven't, right? If you're a carpenter, it might make sense to listen to an epidemiologist about Disease? I don't know. Um, Just like you would want the epidemiologist to listen to you about two-by-fours? If you're a pastor, you might want to listen to a scientifically minded person talk about the, the, the age of the earth, just like you would want them to listen to you talk about justification through faith alone, right? If you're a school teacher, you would want the parent to, to listen to you about your interactions with their kid in the classroom, right? And so, please don't hear me saying that it's, it's just all Christology and no philosophy. That it's just all theology and no other ologies for the Christian. That's not at all what I'm saying. That's not what Paul is saying. He, he engaged philosophy and he, en- he engaged other ologies, But the spirit of the world is to get constantly stuck in trying to find our identity and our meeting and our our answers in the the ideologies of the world or filling your ology, right? And to forget about the wisdom of God that doesn't change, that, that crosses cultures, crosses whatever it is. And and so I I do want you to hear me saying. Christians, that, that I think Christians need to engage these areas a little more honestly and a little more humbly. Like, maybe a pastor isn't the expert on whether or not you should take your antidepressants. Right? Maybe your doctor actually has, has some insight that a pastor doesn't. And, and, and so, we've hurt each other, and pastors have hurt people, and churches have hurt people by, by thinking that being a Christian means we're an expert on everything we're not. And that's not what Paul is saying. But he is saying to be careful with our, with our, with believing what the the ologies or the the ologies of the world can offer us and be careful to the rabbit holes that they can lead us on and the the ways that they can destroy us. Look at, he says, um, so among the mature we do impart wisdom, though it is not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. All the ologies of this world have an expiration date. Biology, incredible study, incredible science. Biologists in here, thank you for the good work that you do. There will come a day where biology doesn't matter. 
Sociology, I love sociology. The study of people, it's amazing, it's important, it's necessary. There will come a day where sociology doesn't matter. Epidemiology, I don't know if we have any epidemiologists in our church. Thank you for the work that you're doing. Keep doing it. It's good, it's important, it's needed. There will come a day when epidemiology isn't needed. Revelation tells us that, that, that Jesus will return and make all things new and that there will be no more suffering or pain or, or sickness or disease anymore. Amen? That, that's what Paul is getting at here. There, let's not lose sight of the greater theology, the spirit of God. Let's not get caught up in the, the spirit of the world, which is always changing and shifting, and we're never quite sure, right? Because it's, it's doomed to pass away, and the rulers of this age, the rulers given here and now, they're doomed to pass away too. They're, they're all fallible. Yes, even the Pope all fallible. There's one who's not. It's God. And Paul tells us here, verse 7, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom or philosophy or ology, the study, the knowledge, the wisdom, the sophia, the insight of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. You see that? All the ologies of the world are doomed to pass away. They're all bound by, by the age, the time, the spirit of the world, this time and space. But the theology, the ology of God, the, the truth, the wisdom of God existed before the age that we're living in and the age to come, it's eternal. And so, Christians, we ought to engage our ologies with just humility, right? Clinging to, to, to the knowledge, to the love, to the study of God and exploring the knowledge and the study and the love of other things, but in great humility, because times are always changing. The, the wisdom of the age is always changing, always shifting. How many of you have heard of phrenology? It's this ancient wisdom of the age that they would study skull shape and size to determine human intelligence and personality. And to us, doesn't that just sound horrific? You can't... You can't tell somebody's intelligence and personality based off the shape of their skull, but this was commonly held practice back in the day. Or, or years ago when doctors endorsed smoking is good for your health. Remember that? Some of you do. I've seen some ads. And sometimes it, media was using doctors to try and sell tobacco products, but there were a lot of doctors who actually said, yeah, smoking's not bad for you. It's, it's good for you. If it, maybe it's neutral. And now we're like... Science doesn't prove that, right? Doctors used to believe that, that stress caused stomach ulcers, and now we know it's bacteria. When I grew up, I was told that margin was better than butter, and it's like one molecule away from plastic. That was just commonly held wisdom. And so all this to say that, that it, and those are some light examples, there's horrific stuff. I mean like the historically held view of scientific racism and sexism, believing that, that people of African descent with darker skin color are, are less intelligent and capable. Like that, that was a scientifically held belief that women are less intelligent and capable, so therefore they shouldn't learn to read and shouldn't be able to vote. This, is, this was commonly held beliefs in history. They were progressive ideas, and so, church, this, this needs to remind us to be very open-handed with our progressive ideas, with our philosophies and our 
ologies and whatever the world's fresh take is on anything, engage it, use your mind, listen to scientists, listen to epidemiologists, think deeply, but hold it with open hands, hold all of this stuff with open hands, and then cling to your theology, the love of God. Because as this passage says, God decreed this before the ages for our glory. This is for your good, your worth, your value. You find meaning and worth and substance and answers in God nowhere else. A couple of years from now, we might find out, I don't know, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> Who knows what history will tell us about the last two years? So hold it with open hands. Paul's point is that the spirit of this world is always changing. It, it, it is of this age. But the spirit of God is before this age. The ologies of this world are shifty, but the ology of God is steady. The leaders of this world, including religious leaders, are limited, but God is all-knowing. He's omniscient. And so Paul is reminding of us reminding us of that here. And then as he closes out the chapter, verses 10 through 16, he's, he's really kind of comparing the, the carnality of the spirit of the world. Like it's carnal, it's here and now, it's what we can taste, touch, see, smell. It's, it's fleshly driven with the spirituality of the spirit of God. That the people of God are able to engage the unseen realm. The people of God are able to engage true spiritual things where people without the Spirit of God are on this search for meaning and everything that they do is carnal. Even their conclusions about spiritual existence are carnal. They come from philosophy and they come from other ologies, not from Christology, not from theology. He closes out by comparing these. Look at verse 10. He says, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. I love chapters 1, 2, and 3. He talks a lot about Jesus, a lot about God the Father, and now he's getting into the Spirit. He's showing us the whole Trinity at work in our salvation and our existence. God like declares what's true. Jesus demonstrates what is right, and the Spirit empowers us to do and to live a Christ-like lifestyle. He says, these things are revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. You want to know the depths of God? Foster into flame, fan into flame, the Holy Spirit living in you, Christian. Verse 11, for who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except for the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us. Amazing. If you are a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit living in you, and the Spirit of God is revealing to you the things of God. You haven't received the Spirit of the world, shifting, constantly changing, never quite sure, always investigating, always testing, always misproving, disproving, whatever. You have the Spirit of God, and this Spirit is is helping you to understand, I love the end of verse 12, understand the things freely given to us by God. You are, as 1 Corinthians chapter 1 told us, you are a saint, you are redeemed, you are chosen, you are sanctified, you are holy, you are set apart. 
the Spirit of God is helping you to fight the accusations of the devil, which says you're bad, you're wrong, you're never good enough, God hates you, you'll never measure up. And the Spirit of the age, which says you're bad, you're wrong, you're a hypocrite, you'll never measure up, you're not good enough, how could God love you? That's, that's the Spirit of the age and the, the talk of the devil and the talk of the age. And this here is saying that as we press into God through the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God is reminding us of whose we are. You are His. This is spiritual thinking. Carnal thinking leaves us into just the carnal existence of everything that keeps slipping through our fingers and nothing fully satisfies and we're never quite sure. There's, there's no substance to stand upon. That's carnal. It's exhausting. And here Paul is saying there, there's this place, this spiritual reality that those who have the Spirit of God can go and here's what we should major in, right? This is, this is what the Christian call is. We need to major in the things of God. Stop arguing about the things of the world. Politics, what? That's the only example because that's what everyone seems to fight about. There's so many other things. And we're not experts at that. So be humble about it. Shut your mouth for a while. And, and, and let's cling together to the things of God. Let's point one another to God. Let's, let's remind one another that we have the Holy Spirit living in us and, and he is revealing to us the things that God has freely given us. Regardless of your conclusions about COVID, if you are in Christ, you are beloved. Now, talk about it later, how we should handle COVID. Verse 13. It says, And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Those of us in Christ, we, we have this spiritual guidance and discernment from the Holy Spirit. Verses 13 and 14 basically tell us that we know God's thoughts and we're able to understand God's thoughts and what God thinks about us and what God thinks about others. Amen? It's amazing. Verse 14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And they might be right on some other ologies, right? Let's just set that straight. They might be right on some other ologies. So as Christians, let's be wise, let's listen. But they don't understand the things of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. That's, that's our lane as Christians. Let's stay in our lane. Yeah. Maybe not even stay in your lane. Sometimes you can, like, change lanes, right? But let's major in our lane. Our lane is the spiritual things of God, the eternal substance and meaning and purpose. Jesus on the cross. Jesus getting up out of that grave and giving new life. These are the things that Christians are called to. In verse 15, he says, The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. What does he mean there? As actually, other places in the Scripture call us in love as brothers and sisters in Christ to judge one another for our edification, for our growth, right? Like, if you see me sinning, you should call me out. But what he's getting at here is that those in Christ Jesus, there is no judgment apart from Christ. Look, at back, at, look back at chapter 1, verse 8. Remember, in Paul's setup here, he's reminding them of their identity, and he says... Uh, verse 7 and 8, he says, You are lacking in no gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
That's what he means here in chapter 2 when he says that, that there is no judgment for the one in Christ because we are being preserved and presented before God as guiltless. Amen? This is, this is our truth. This is the Spirit of God reminding you that God is working out your salvation and presenting you that Jesus has adopted you, he has redeemed you, he has made you new, and he's presenting you before God, the Holy Heavenly Father, as guiltless. Your judgment will be that as holy and righteous and pure. That's what Paul means here, that, that no one can judge us. And then he closes out, verse 16, For who has understood the mind of the Lord as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. In this, in this world of confusion and conflicting ideas and the spirit of the world with its philosophy and all of its ology and all of its carnality, just the, the here and now, the fleshly impulses, he's saying, for those of you in Jesus, you have the very mind of Christ. Having the mind of Christ isn't about having all the answers. It's about holding the person and the work of Jesus as preem- preeminent it's, it's about us together striving to live like Jesus and to think like Jesus and to act like Jesus. And it's you and I encouraging one another day in and day out in our homes, at coffee shops, at restaurants, at bars, at, at, at the communion table to look to Jesus, to major on Jesus, to surrender to Jesus, to do life with Jesus, to cling to Jesus because he is the only one who never changes. Amen? And so weekly as we gather at Park Community Church, we gather around Jesus, the man who lived a perfect life, who was raised up on a Roman cross and died a sinner's death, was put into a tomb, then the power of God resurrected him, giving you and I new life. And now we have the Spirit of God in us. We have the mind of Christ because of Jesus, who he is and what he's done. So let's partake together. If you are striving to follow after Jesus, if your desire is to be a disciple of his, the elements are in the pew in front of you as a reminder of who Jesus is and what he's done. I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and we'll take together. The Apostle Paul writes, For I received from the Lord that what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, Go ahead and peel that top layer back and pull out the wafer. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, also he took a cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for loving us. Lord, when we give in to, when we allow the spirit of the world, the, the philosophies of the world, and the ologies of the world to consume our hearts and our minds. Lord, you, you love us in those moments. And Jesus, you went to the cross for us. 
And I just personally thank you for that because I get caught up in things that distract me from that truth. I pray that you would remind us that there is life and substance in saying that we've decided to know nothing except for you and you crucified. Lord, it's not just you and you crucified, it's you and you resurrected, giving us a new life, giving us a new mind, giving us a new spirit, giving us a new way of life that this world so desperately needs, that we need. So may we be your grace, your hands and your feet to one another. Lord, may your mind, may the mind of Christ control us, all that we say and all that we do. For your glory, our good, and the advancement of your gospel, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.